Section 4 of The Oxford Book of American Essays Chosen by Brander Matthews This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 4 Thus we sit by the fire and take hold on the poles of the earth. This quasi-omnipresence supplies the imbecility of our condition. In one of those celestial days, when heaven and earth meet, and adorn each other it seems a poverty that we can only spend it once we wish for a thousand heads a thousand bodies that we might celebrate its immense beauty in many ways and places is this fancy well in good faith we are multiplied by our proxies how easily we adopt their labors every ship that comes to america got its chart from columbus every novel is a debtor to homer every carpenter who shaves with a foreplane borrows the genius of a forgotten inventor life is girt all round with a zodiac of sciences and contributions of men who have perished to add their point of light to our sky engineer broker jurist physician moralist theologian and every man inasmuch as he has any science is a definer and map maker of the latitudes and longitudes of our condition these road makers on every hand enrich us we must extend the area of life and multiply our relations we are as much gainers by finding a new property in the old earth as by acquiring a new planet we are too passive in the reception of these material or semi-material aids we must not be sacks and stomachs to ascend one step we are better served through our sympathy activity is contagious looking where others look and conversing with the same things we catch the charm which lured them napoleon said you must not fight too often with one enemy, or you will teach him all your art of war. Talk much with any man of vigorous mind, and we acquire very fast the habit of looking at things in the same light, and on each occurrence we anticipate his thought. Men are helpful through the intellect and the affections. Other help I find a false appearance if you affect to give me bread and fire i perceive that i pay for it the full price and at last it leaves me as it found me neither better nor worse but all mental and moral force is a positive good it goes out from you whether you will or not and profits me whom you never thought of i cannot even hear of personal vigor of any kind great power of performance without fresh resolution we are emulous of all that man can do cecil's saying of sir walter raleigh i know that he can toil terribly is an electric touch so are clarendon's portraits of hampton who was of an industry and vigilance not to be tired out or wearied by the most laborious and of parts not to be imposed on by the most subtle and sharp 
and of a personal courage equal to his best parts of falkland who was so severe an adorer of truth that he could as easily have given himself leave to steal as to dissemble we cannot read plutarch without a tingling of the blood and i accept the saying of the chinese mencius a sage is the instructor of a hundred ages when the manners of lu are heard of the stupid become intelligent and the wavering determined this is the moral of biography yet it is hard for departed men to touch the quick like our own companions whose names may not last as long what is he whom i never think of whilst in every solitude are those who succor our genius and stimulate us in wonderful manners there is a power in love to divine another's destiny better than that other can and by heroic encouragements hold him to his task what has friendship so signal as its sublime attraction to whatever virtue is in us we will never more think cheaply of ourselves or of life we are piqued to some purpose and the industry of the diggers on the railroad will not again shame us under this head too falls that homage very pure as i think which all ranks pay to the hero of the day from coriolanus and gracchus down to pitt lafayette wellington webster lamartine hear the shouts in the street the people cannot see him enough they delight in a man here is a head and a trunk what a front what eyes atlantean shoulders and the whole carriage heroic with equal inward force to guide the great machine this pleasure of full expression to that which in their private experience is usually cramped and obstructed runs also much higher and is the secret of the reader's joy in literary genius nothing is kept back there is fire enough to fuse the mountain of ore shakespeare's principal merit may be conveyed in saying that he of all men best understands the english language and can say what he will yet these unchoked channels and floodgates of expression are only health or fortunate constitution shakespeare's name suggests other and purely intellectual benefits senates and sovereigns have no complement with their medals swords and armorial coats like the addressing to a human being thoughts out of a certain height and presupposing his intelligence this honor which is possible in personal intercourse scarcely twice in a lifetime genius perpetually pays contented if now and then in a century the proffer is accepted the indicators of the values of matter are degraded into a sort of cooks and confectioners on the appearance of the indicators of ideas genius is the naturalist or geographer of the supersensible regions and draws their map 
and by acquainting us with new fields of activity cools our affection for the old these are at once accepted as the reality of which the world we have conversed with is the show we go to the gymnasium and the swimming school to see the power and beauty of the body there is the like pleasure and higher benefit from witnessing intellectual feats of all kinds as feats of memory of mathematical combination great power of abstraction the transmutings of the imagination even versatility and concentration as these acts expose the invisible organs and members of the mind which respond member for member to the parts of the body for we thus enter a new gymnasium and learn to choose men by their truest marks taught with plato to choose those who can without aid from the eyes or any other sense proceed to truth and to being foremost among these activities are the somersaults spells and resurrections wrought by the imagination when this wakes a man seems to multiply ten times or a thousand times his force it opens the delicious sense of indeterminate size and inspires an audacious mental habit we are as elastic as the gas of gunpowder and a sentence in a book or a word dropped in conversation sets free our fancy and instantly our heads are bathed with galaxies and our feet tread the floor of the pit and this benefit is real because we are entitled to these enlargements and once having passed the bounds shall never again be quite the miserable pedants we were the high functions of the intellect are so allied that some imaginative power usually appears in all eminent minds even in arithmeticians of the first class but especially in meditative men of an intuitive habit of thought this class serves us so that they have the perception of identity and perception of reaction the eyes of plato shakespeare swedenborg goethe never shut on either of these laws the perception of these laws is a kind of meter of the mind little minds are little through failure to see them even these feats have their surfeit our delight in reason degenerates into idolatry of the herald especially when a mind of powerful method has instructed men we find the examples of oppression the dominion of aristotle the ptolemaic astronomy the credit of luther of bacon of locke in religion the history of hierarchies of saints and the sects which have taken the name of each founder are in point alas every man is such a victim the imbecility of men is always inviting the impudence of power it is the delight of vulgar talent to dazzle and to blind the beholder but true genius seek to defend us from itself true genius will not impoverish but will liberate and add new senses 
if a wise man should appear in our village he would create in those who conversed with him a new consciousness of wealth by opening their eyes to unobserved advantages he would establish a sense of immovable equality calm us with assurances that we could not be cheated as every one would discern the checks and guarantees of condition the rich would see their mistakes and poverty the poor their escapes and their resources but nature brings all this about in due time rotation is her remedy the soul is impatient of masters and eager for change housekeepers say of a domestic who has been valuable she has lived with me long enough we are tendencies or rather symptoms and none of us complete we touch and go and sip the foam of many lives rotation is the law of nature when nature removes a great man people explore the horizon for a successor but none comes and none will his class is extinguished with him in some other and quite different field the next man will appear not jefferson not franklin but now a great salesman then a road contractor then a student of fishes then a buffalo hunting explorer or a semi-savage western general thus we make a stand against our rougher masters but against the best there is a finer remedy the power which they communicate is not theirs when we are exalted by ideas we do not owe this to plato but to the idea to which also plato was debtor i must not forget that we have a special debt to a single class life is a scale of degrees between rank and rank of our great men are wide intervals mankind have in all ages attached themselves to a few persons who either by the quality of that idea they embodied or by the largeness of their reception were entitled to the position of leaders and law-givers these teach us the qualities of primary nature admit us to the constitution of things we swim day by day on a river of delusions and are effectually amused with houses and towns in the air of which the men about us are dupes but life is a sincerity in lucid intervals we say let there be an entrance opened for me into realities i have worn the fool's cap too long we will know the meaning of our economies and politics give us the cipher and if persons and things are scores of a celestial music let us read off the strains we have been cheated of our reason yet there have been sane men who enjoyed a rich and related existence what they know they know for us with each new mind a new secret of nature transpires nor can the bible be closed until the last great man is born these men correct the delirium of the animal spirits make us considerate and engage us to new aims and powers the veneration of mankind selects these for the highest place 
witness the multitude of statues pictures and memorials which recall their genius in every city village house and ship ever their phantoms arise before us our loftier brothers but one in blood at bed and table they lord it over us with looks of beauty and words of good how to illustrate the distinctive benefit of ideas the service rendered by those who introduce moral truths into the general mind i am plagued in all my living with a perpetual tariff of prices if i work in my garden and prune an apple tree i am well enough entertained and could continue indefinitely in the like occupation but it comes to mind that a day is gone and i have got this precious nothing done i go to boston or new york and run up and down on my affairs they are sped but so is the day i am vexed by the recollection of this price i have paid for a trifling advantage i remember the podin on which whoso sat should have his desire but a piece of the skin was gone for every wish i go to a convention of philanthropists do what i can i cannot keep my eyes off the clock but if there should appear in the company some gentle soul who knows little of persons or parties of carolina or cuba but who announces a law that disposes these particulars and so certifies me of the equity which checkmates every false player bankrupts every self-seeker and apprises me of my independence on any condition of country or time or human body that man liberates me i forget the clock i pass out of the sore relation to persons i am healed of my hurts i am made immortal by apprehending my possession of incorruptible goods here is great competition of rich and poor we live in a market where is only so much wheat or wood or land and if i have so much more every other must have so much less i seem to have no good without breach of good manners nobody is glad in the gladness of another and our system is one of war of an injurious superiority every child of the saxon race is educated to wish to be first it is our system and a man comes to measure his greatness by the regrets envies and hatreds of his competitors but in these new fields there is room here are no self-esteems no exclusions i admire great men of all classes those who stand for facts and for thoughts i like rough and smooth scourges of god and darlings of the human race i like the first caesar and charles the fifth of spain and charles the twelfth of sweden richard plantagenet and bonaparte in france i applaud a sufficient man an officer equal to his office captains ministers senators i like a master standing firm on legs of iron well-born rich handsome 
eloquent, loaded with advantages, drawing all men by fascination into tributaries and supports of his power. Sword and staff or talents, sword-like or staff-like, carry on the work of the world, but I find him greater when he can abolish himself and all heroes by letting in this element of reason, irrespective of persons. This subtilizer and irresistible upward force into our thought, destroying individualism, the power so great that the potentate is nothing. Then he is a monarch who gives a constitution to his people, a pontiff who preaches the equality of souls and releases his servants from their barbarous homages, an emperor who can spare his empire. But I intended to specify with a little minuteness two or three points of service. Nature never spares the opium or nepenthe, but wherever she mars her creature with some deformity or defect, lays her poppies plentifully on the bruise, and the sufferer goes joyfully through life, ignorant of the ruin, and incapable of seeing it, though all the world point their finger at it every day. The worthless and offensive members of society, whose existence is a social pest, invariably think themselves the most ill-used people alive, and never get over their astonishment at the ingratitude and selfishness of their contemporaries. Our globe discovers its hidden virtues, not only in heroes and archangels, but in gossips and nurses. Is it not a rare contrivance that lodged the due inertia in every creature, the conserving, resisting energy, the anger at being waked or changed? Altogether independent of the intellectual force in each is the pride of opinion, the security that we are right. Not the feeblest grandam, not a mowing idiot, but uses what spark of perception and faculty is left to chuckle and triumph in his or her opinion over the absurdities of all the rest. Difference from me is the measure of absurdity. Not one has a misgiving of being wrong. Was it not a bright thought that made things cohere with this bitumen fastest of cements? But in the midst of this chuckle of self-gratulation, some figure goes by which Thersites too can love and admire. This is he that should marshal us the way we were going. There is no end to his aid. Without Plato, we should almost lose our faith in the possibility of a reasonable book. We seem to want but one, but we want one. We love to associate with heroic persons, since our receptivity is unlimited, and with the great our thoughts and manners easily become great. We are all wise in capacity, though so few in energy. There needs but one wise man in a company, and all are wise, so rapid is the contagion. Great men are thus a collyrium, to clear our eyes from egotism, 
and enable us to see other people and their works but there are vices and follies incident to whole populations and ages men resemble their contemporaries even more than their progenitors it is observed in old couples or in persons who have been housemates for a course of years that they grow like and if they should live long enough we should not be able to know them apart nature abhors these complacences which threaten to melt the world into a lump and hastens to break up such maudlin agglutinations the like assimilation goes on between men of one town of one sect of one political party and the ideas of the time are in the air and infect all who breathe it viewed from any high point this city of new york yonder city of london the western civilization would seem a bundle of insanities we keep each other in countenance and exasperate by emulation the frenzy of the time the shield against the stingings of conscience is the universal practice or our contemporaries again it is very easy to be as wise and good as your companions we learn of our contemporaries what they know without effort and almost through the pores of the skin we catch it by sympathy or as a wife arrives at the intellectual and moral elevations of her husband but we stop where they stop very hardly can we take another step the great or such as hold of nature and transcend fashions by their fidelity to universal ideas are saviors from these federal errors and defend us from our contemporaries they are the exceptions which we want where all grows alike a foreign greatness is the antidote for cabalism thus we feed on genius and refresh ourselves from too much conversation with our mates and exult in the depth of nature in that direction in which he leads us what indemnification is one great man for populations of pygmies every mother wishes one son a genius though all the rest should be mediocre but a new danger appears in the excess of influence of the great man his attractions warp us from our place we have become underlings and intellectual suicides ah yonder in the horizon is our help other great men new qualities counterweights and checks on each other we cloy of the honey of each peculiar greatness every hero becomes a bore at last perhaps voltaire was not bad-hearted yet he said of the good jesus even i pray you let me never hear that man's name again they cry up the virtues of george washington damn george washington is the poor jacobin's whole speech and confutation but it is human nature's indispensable defence the centripetence augments the centrifugence we balance one man with his opposite and the health of the state depends on the seesaw there is however a speedy limit 
to the use of heroes every genius is defended from approach by quantities of unavailableness they are very attractive and seem at a distance our own but we are hindered on all sides from approach the more we are drawn the more we are repelled there is something not solid in the good that is done for us the best discovery the discoverer makes for himself it has something unreal for his companion until he too has substantiated it it seems as if the deity dressed each soul which he sends into nature in certain virtues and powers not communicable to other men and sending it to perform one more turn through the circle of beings wrote not transferable and good for this trip only on these garments of the soul there is somewhat deceptive about the intercourse of minds the boundaries are invisible but they are never crossed there is such good will to impart and such good will to receive that each threatens to become the other but the law of individuality collects its secret strength you are you and i am i and so we remain for nature wishes everything to remain itself and whilst every individual strives to grow and exclude and to exclude and grow to the extremities of the universe and to impose the law of its being on every other creature nature steadily aims to protect each against every other each is self-defended nothing is more marked than the power by which individuals are guarded from individuals in a world where every benefactor becomes so easily a malefactor only by continuation of his activity into places where it is not due where children seem so much at the mercy of their foolish parents and where almost all men are too social and interfering we rightly speak of the guardian angels of children how superior in their security from infusions of evil persons from vulgarity and second thought they shed their own abundant beauty on the objects they behold therefore they are not at the mercy of such poor educators as we adults if we huff and chide them they soon come not to mind it and get a self-reliance and if we indulge them to folly they learn the limitation elsewhere we need not fear excessive influence a more generous trust is permitted serve the great stick at no humiliation grudge no offence thou canst render be the limb of their body the breath of their mouth compromise thy egotism who cares for that so thou gain aught wider and nobler never mind the taunt of boswellism the devotion may easily be greater than the wretched bride which is guarding its own skirts be another not thyself but a platonist not a soul but a christian not a naturalist but a cartesian not a poet but a shakespearean in vain the wheels of tendency will not stop nor will all the forces of inertia fear or of love itself hold thee there 
on and forever onward the microscope observes a monad or wheel insect among the infusories circulating in water presently a dot appears on the animal which enlarges to a slit and it becomes two perfect animals the ever proceeding detachment appears not less in all thought and in society children think they cannot live without their parents but long before they are aware of it the black dot has appeared and the detachment taken place any accident will now reveal to them their independence but great men the word is injurious is there caste is there fate what becomes the promise to virtue the thoughtful youth laments the superfetation of nature generous and handsome he says is your hero but look at yonder poor paddy whose country is his wheelbarrow look at his whole nation of paddies why are the masses from the dawn of history down food for knives and powder the idea dignifies a few leaders who have sentiment opinion love self-devotion and they make war and death sacred but what for the wretches whom they hire and kill the cheapness of man is every day's tragedy it is as real a loss that others should be low as that we should be low for we must have society is it a reply to these suggestions to say society is a pestalozian school all are teachers and pupils in turn we are equally served by receiving and by imparting men who know the same things are not long the best company for each other but bring to each other an intelligent person of another experience and it is as if you let off water from a lake by cutting a lower basin it seems a mechanical advantage and great benefit it is to each speaker as he can now paint out his thoughts to himself we pass very fast in our personal moods from dignity to dependence and if any appear never to assume the chair but always to stand and serve it is because we do not see the company in a sufficiently long period for the whole rotation of parts to come about as to what we call the masses and common men there are no common men all men are at last of a size and true art is only possible on the conviction that every talent has its apotheosis somewhere fair play and an open field and freshest laurels to all who have won them but heaven reserves an equal scope for every creature each is uneasy until he has produced his private ray unto the concave sphere and beheld his talent also in its last nobility and exaltation the heroes of the hour are relatively great of a faster growth or they are such in whom at the moment of success a quality is ripe which is then in request other days will 
demand other qualities some rays escape the common observer and want a finely adapted eye ask the great man if there be none greater his companions are and not the less great but the more that society cannot see them nature never sends a great man into the planet without confiding the secret to another soul one gracious fact emerges from these studies that there is true ascension in our love the reputations of the nineteenth century will one day be quoted to prove its barbarism the genius of humanity is the real subject whose biography is written in our annals we must infer much and supply many chasms in the record the history of the universe is symptomatic and life is mnemonical no man in all the procession of famous men is reason or illumination or that essence we are looking for but is an exhibition in some quarter of new possibilities could we one day complete the immense figure which these flagrant points compose the study of many individuals leads us to an elemental region wherein the individual is lost or wherein all touch by their summits thought and feeling shall break out there cannot be impounded by any fence of personality this is the key to the power of the greatest men their spirit diffuses itself a new quality of mind travels by night and by day in concentric circles from its origin and publishes itself by unknown methods the union of all minds appears intimate what gets admission to one cannot be kept out of any other the smallest acquisition of truth or of energy in any quarter is so much good to the commonwealth of souls if the disparities of talent and position vanish when the individuals are seen in the duration which is necessary to complete the career of each even more swiftly the seeming injustice disappears when we ascend to the central identity of all the individuals and know that they are made of the substance which ordaineth and doeth the genius of humanity is the right point of view of history the qualities abide the men who exhibit them have now more now less and pass away the qualities remain on another brow no experience is more familiar once you saw phoenixes they are gone the world is not therefore disenchanted the vessels on which you read sacred emblems turn out to be common pottery but the sense of the pictures is sacred and you may still read them transferred to the walls of the world for a time our teachers serve us personally as meters or milestones of progress once they were angels of knowledge and their figures touched the sky then we drew near saw their means culture and limits and they yielded their place to other geniuses happy 
if a few names remain so high that we have not been able to read them nearer and age and comparison have not robbed them of a ray but at last we shall cease to look in men for completeness and shall content ourselves with their social and delegated quality all that respects the individual is temporary and prospective like the individual himself who is ascending out of his limits into a catholic existence we have never come at the true and best benefit of any genius so long as we believe him an original force in the moment when he ceases to help us as a cause he begins to help us more as an effect then he appears as an exponent of a vaster mind and will the opaque self becomes transparent with the light of the first cause yet within the limits of human education and agency we may say great men exist that there may be greater men the destiny of organized nature is amelioration and who can tell its limits it is for man to tame the chaos on every side whilst he lives to scatter the seeds of science and of song that climate corn animals men may be milder and the germs of love and benefit may be multiplied buds and bird voices by nathaniel hawthorne balmy spring weeks later than we expected and months later than we longed for her comes at last to revive the moss on the roof and walls of our old mansion she peeps brightly into my study window inviting me to throw it open and create a summer atmosphere by the intermixture of her genial breath with the black and cheerless comfort of the stove as the casement ascends forth into infinite space fly the innumerable forms of thought or fancy that have kept me company in the retirement of this little chamber during the sluggish lapse of wintry weather visions gay grotesque and sad pictures of real life tinted with nature's homely gray and russet scenes in dreamland bedizened with rainbow hues which faded before they were well laid on all these may vanish now and leave me to mould a fresh existence out of sunshine brooding meditation may flap her dusky wings and take her owl-like flight blinking amid the cheerfulness of noontide such companions befit the season of frosted window-panes and crackling fires when the blast howls through the black ash trees of our avenue and the drifting snowstorm chokes up the wood-paths and fills the highway from stone wall to stone wall in the spring and summer-time all sombre thoughts should follow the winter northward with the sombre and thoughtful crows the old paradisiacal economy of life is again in force we live not to think nor to labor but for the simple end of being happy nothing for the present hour is worthy of man's infinite capacity save to imbibe 
the warm smile of heaven and sympathize with the reviving earth the present spring comes onward with fleeter footsteps because winter lingered so unconscionably long that with her best diligence she can hardly retrieve half the allotted period of her reign it is but a fortnight since i stood on the brink of our swollen river and beheld the accumulated ice of four frozen months go down the stream except in streaks here and there upon the hillsides the whole visible universe was then covered with deep snow the nethermost layer of which had been deposited by an early december storm it was a sight to make the beholder torpid in the impossibility of imagining how this vast white napkin was to be removed from the face of the corpse-like world in less time than had been required to spread it there but who can estimate the power of gentle influences whether amid material desolation or the moral winter of man's heart there have been no tempestuous rains even no sultry days but a constant breath of southern winds with now a day of kindly sunshine and now a no less kindly mist or a soft descent of showers in which a smile and a blessing seem to have been steeped the snow has vanished as if by magic whatever heaps may be hidden in the woods and deep gorges of the hills only two solitary specks remain in the landscape and those i shall almost regret to miss when to-morrow i look for them in vain never before methinks has spring pressed so closely on the footsteps of retreating winter along the roadside the green blades of grass have sprouted on the very edge of the snowdrifts the pastures and mowing fields have not yet assumed a general aspect of verdure but neither have they the cheerless brown tint which they wear in later autumn when vegetation has entirely ceased there is now a faint shadow of life gradually brightening into the warm reality some tracts in a happy exposure as for instance yonder southwestern slope of an orchard in front of that old red farmhouse beyond the river such patches of land already wear a beautiful and tender green to which no future luxuriance can add a charm it looks unreal a prophecy a hope a transitory effect of some peculiar light which will vanish with the slightest motion of the eye but beauty is never a delusion not these verdant tracts but the dark and barren landscape all around them is a shadow and a dream each moment wins some portion of the earth from death to life a sudden gleam of verdure brightens along the sunny slope of a bank which an instant ago was brown and bare you look again and behold an apparition of green grass the trees in our orchard and elsewhere are as yet naked but already appear full of life and vegetable blood it seems as if by one magic touch they might instantaneously burst into full foliage and that the wind which now sighs through their naked branches might make sudden music amid innumerable leaves the moss-grown willow tree which for forty years past has overshadowed these western windows will be among the first 
to put on its green attire there are some objections to the willow it is not a dry and cleanly tree and impresses the beholder with an association of sliminess no trees i think are perfectly agreeable as companions unless they have glossy leaves dry bark and a firm and hard texture of trunk and branches but the willow is almost the earliest to gladden us with the promise and reality of beauty in its graceful and delicate foliage and the last to scatter its yellow yet scarcely withered leaves upon the ground all through the winter too its yellow twigs give it a sunny aspect which is not without a cheering influence even in the greyest and gloomiest day beneath a clouded sky it faithfully remembers the sunshine our old house would lose a charm were the willow to be cut down with its golden crown over the snow-covered roof and its heap of summer verdure the lilac shrubs under my study window are likewise almost in leaf in two or three days more i may put forth my hand and pluck the topmost bough in its freshest green these lilacs are very aged and have lost the luxuriant foliage of their prime the heart or the judgment or the moral sense or the taste is dissatisfied with their present aspect old age is not venerable when it embodies itself in lilacs rose bushes or any other ornamental shrubs it seems as if such plants as they grow only for beauty ought to flourish only in immortal youth or at least to die before their sad decrepitude trees of beauty are trees of paradise and therefore not subject to decay by their original nature though they have lost that precious birthright by being transplanted to an earthly soil there is a kind of ludicrous unfitness in the idea of a time-stricken and grandfatherly lilac bush the analogy holds good in human life persons who can only be graceful and ornamental who can give the world nothing but flowers should die young and never be seen with grey hair and wrinkles any more than the flower shrubs with mossy bark and blighted foliage like the lilacs under my window not that beauty is worthy of less than immortality no the beautiful should live forever and thence perhaps the sense of impropriety when we see it triumphed over by time apple trees on the other hand grow old without reproach let them live as long as they may and contort themselves into whatever perversity of shape they please and deck their withered limbs with a springtime gaudiness of pink blossoms still they are respectable even if they afford us only an apple or two in a season those few apples or at all events the remembrance of apples in bygone years are the atonement which utilitarianism inexorably demands for the privilege of lengthened life human flower shrubs if they will grow old on earth should besides their lovely blossoms bear some kind of fruit that will satisfy earthly appetites else neither man nor the decorum of nature will deem it fit that the moss should gather on them 
one of the first things that strikes the attention when the white sheet of winter is withdrawn is the neglect and disarray that lay hidden beneath it nature is not cleanly according to our prejudices the beauty of preceding years now transformed to brown and blighted deformity obstructs the brightening loveliness of the present hour our avenue is strewn with the whole crop of autumn's withered leaves there are quantities of decayed branches which one tempest after another has flung down black and rotten and one or two with the ruin of a bird's nest clinging to them in the garden are the dried bean vines the brown stalks of the asparagus bed and melancholy old cabbages which were frozen into the soil before their unthrifty cultivator could find time to gather them how invariable throughout all the forms of life do we find these intermingled memorials of death on the soil of thought and in the garden of the heart as well as in the sensual world lie withered leaves the ideas and feelings that we have done with there is no wind strong enough to sweep them away infinite space will not garner them from our sight what mean they why may we not be permitted to live and enjoy as if this were the first life and our own the primal enjoyment instead of treading always on these dry bones and mouldering relics from the aged accumulation of which springs all that now appears so young and new sweet must have been the springtime of eden when no earlier year had strewn its decay upon the virgin turf and no former experience had ripened into summer and faded into autumn in the hearts of its inhabitants that was a world worth living in o thou murmurer it is out of the very wantonness of such a life that thou feignest these idle lamentations there is no decay each human soul is the first created inhabitant of its own eden we dwell in an old moss-covered mansion and tread in the worn footprints of the past and have a grey clergyman's ghost for our daily and nightly inmate yet all these outward circumstances are made less than visionary by the renewing power of the spirit should the spirit ever lose this power should the withered leaves and the rotten branches and the moss-covered house and the ghost of the grey past ever become its realities and the verdure and the freshness merely its faint dream then let it pray to be released from earth it will need the air of heaven to revive its pristine energies what an unlooked-for flight was this from our shadowy avenue of black ash and balm of gilead trees into the infinite now we have our feet again upon the turf nowhere does the grass spring up so industriously as in this homely yard along the base of the stone wall and in the sheltered nooks of the buildings and especially round the southern doorstep a locality which seems particularly favourable to its growth for it is already tall enough to bend over and wave in the wind 
I observe that several weeds, and most frequently a plant that stains the fingers with its yellow juice, have survived and retained their freshness, and sap throughout the winter. One knows not how they have deserved such an exception from the common lot of their race. They are now the patriarchs of the departed year, and may preach mortality to the present generation of flowers and weeds. Among the delights of spring, how is it possible to forget the birds? Even the crows are welcome as the sable harbingers of a brighter and livelier race. They visited us before the snow was off, but seem mostly to have betaken themselves to remote depths of the woods, which they haunt all summer long. Many a time shall I disturb them there, and feel as if I had intruded among a company of silent worshippers, as they sit in Sabbath stillness among the treetops. Their voices, when they speak, are in admirable accordance with the tranquil solitude of a summer afternoon, and, resounding so far above the head, their loud clamour increases the religious quiet of the scene, instead of breaking it. A crow, however, has no real pretensions to religion, in spite of his gravity of mien and black attire. He is certainly a thief, and probably an infidel. The gulls are far more respectable, in a moral point of view. These denizens of sea-beaten rocks and haunters of the lonely beach come up our inland river at this season, and soar high overhead, flapping their broad wings in the upper sunshine. They are among the most picturesque of birds, because they so float and rest upon the air as to become almost stationary parts of the landscape. The imagination has time to grow acquainted with them. They have not flitted away in a moment. You go up among the clouds and greet these lofty-flighted gulls and repose confidently with them upon the sustaining atmosphere. Ducks have their haunts along the solitary places of the river and alight in flocks upon the broad bosom of the overflowed meadows. Their flight is too rapid and determined for the eye to catch enjoyment from it, although it never fails to stir up the heart with the sportsman's ineradicable instinct. They have now gone farther northward, but will visit us again in autumn. The smaller birds, the little songsters of the woods, and those that haunt man's dwellings and claim human friendship, by building their nests under the sheltering eaves or among the orchard trees, these require a touch more delicate and a gentler heart than mine to do them justice. Their outburst of melody is like a brook let loose from wintry chains. We do not deem it a too high and solemn word to call it a hymn of praise to the Creator, since nature, who pictures the reviving year in so many sights of beauty, has expressed the sentiment of renewed life in no other sound save the notes of these blessed birds. Their music, however, just now seems to be incidental, and not the result of a set purpose. 
they are discussing the economy of life and love and the site and architecture of their summer residences and have no time to sit on a twig and pour forth solemn hymns or overtures operas symphonies and waltzes anxious questions are asked grave subjects are settled in quick and animated debate and only by occasional accident as from pure ecstasy does a rich warble roll its tiny waves of golden sound through the atmosphere their little bodies are as busy as their voices they are in a constant flutter and restlessness even when two or three retreat to a tree-top to hold counsel they wag their tails and heads all the time with the irrepressible activity of their nature which perhaps renders their brief span of life in reality as long as the patriarchal age of sluggish man the blackbirds three species of which consort together are the noisiest of all our feathered citizens great companies of them more than the famous four-and-twenty whom mother goose has immortalized congregate in contiguous tree-tops and vociferate with all the clamour and confusion of a turbulent political meeting politics certainly must be the occasion of such tumultuous debates but still unlike all other politicians they instill melody into their individual utterances and produce harmony as a general effect of all bird voices none are more sweet and cheerful to my ear than those of swallows in the dim sun-streaked interior of a lofty barn they address the heart with such a closer sympathy than robin redbreast but indeed all these winged people that dwell in the vicinity of homesteads seem to partake of human nature and possess the germ if not the development of immortal souls we hear them saying their melodious prayers at morning's blush and eventide a little while ago in the deep of night there came the lively thrill of a bird's note from a neighboring tree a real song such as greets the purple dawn or mingles with the yellow sunshine what could the little bird mean by pouring it forth at midnight probably the music gushed out of the midst of a dream in which he fancied himself in paradise with his mate but suddenly awoke on a cold leafless bough with a new england mist penetrating through his feathers that was a sad exchange of imagination for reality end of section four